Welcome everyone to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Grab a drink, ladies and gentlemen, and be ready, because this is going to be one heck of a storm. And it needs to be. For tonight, we are drinking upon our greatest known fears. Well, fear itself, to be actual, to be honest. Um, you want to take this, good sir, or... Sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot at this point. Uh, not as much monologuing tonight as we usually do, but we can give you. We'll go with the usual synopsis. The concept of fear is a construct in in in, in society, and its use as a tool to manipulate others. It's something that has been on my mind since. Well, I mean, if you want to be honest, it's been on my mind since nine eleven. But it only came much more into sharp relief since COVID. And it's fascinating from a psychological standpoint to see people who are so easily affected by it. And I'm not saying I'm beyond fear. I don't think any person is truly completely beyond fear. There's still the dark corners of your mind that you have something that nags away at you and prevents you from feeling like a whole person in one way or another. I think with regards to where we're at now, I think we're kind of, as a society, drunk on it. It's almost an addiction for some people. And... I find that to be very counterintuitive to a functional society as a whole. Really? Okay, so the thing with fear is that it is a primal aspect of not just society, but through the animal kingdom as a whole. It's a driving force in what keeps the evolution line going. Fear is... And uh, I should say, in some ways, it's an appropriate response to the inevitability of death. Yes and no. If you're looking at the base instinct of fight or flight, and it's in fears in, in fears puzzle piece in that general in that bigger picture. It is necessary, and it's very vital to function and, and survival in all organisms. I'm not talking about instinctual fear in, in and of itself. I'm referring to manufactured. Things that are created in which to facilitate a fear response from, an, from a, think, a free-thinking organism like a human being. How so? Well, if you contrast things that you personally would be afraid of as something you'd be afraid of that might hurt you, maim you, or kill you. You know, wild animal attacks, death by disease, heart attack, you know, the grip, the, the fear of mortality in and of itself is a primal fear that even uh, that most free, th most high thinking, higher thinking beings would have. But exploitation of that to the point where you are, programmed because of the inundation of that fear stimulus to elicit some kind of gen generated response by a greater authority 
is where I have my issue. I don't have a problem with biological fear response because we're all given to that. We just are. It's we're, we're, Lizard brain is always first brain before you hit the higher mammalian functional brain. We're all built that way. The need to survive is the greatest need, no matter what. And very few people, very few humans can circumvent that that survival instinct. And the ones that do, well, there are other issues at hand. But in regards to those particular things, looking at the looking at situations in the past, examples like with nine eleven and the associated years after that, between the war on terror and the terror alert system that was put into place to basically keep people feeling perpetually paranoid, even though if you look at the root of the, the roots of everything, the motto was, we don't want to stop living our lives. We're not going to let the terror, because that would let the terrorists win. Okay, then why do we have a terror alert system? Why are we still worried about terrorism, uh, terrorism in that regard? When you're saying one side of your face, we shouldn't be afraid, don't let these people get the best of us, because if you do, they win. Now, hide under your bed, because we're at, we're at, we're at level taupe. I don't understand. That, that To me, that feels absolutely counterintuitive to, to the message you're trying to send. Okay, so, from what I just heard from you, I genuinely do not see the difference between what you're, uh, between a higher level of, of thought of rational fear and manipulation than what you find in the wild. So, the example would be, like, if you think of the savannah, for, the African savannah, and you have a herd of wildebeest approaching a lake, and they're having a drink, and right around that same lake, you have a pride of lions, and inside that lake, there are crocodiles. Now, they are all there to potentially hunt down these wildebeest. The wildebeest know they're hunting, that these guys are going to hunt them down, and they're always paranoid and cautious. However, they need the water. So they're going to take the water anyway. But they still live in perpetuity of paranoia, knowing that these creatures are on the hunt for them. There's not that much different than what we find in human civilization. Because in the ways of how our politicians uh, play out their, uh, they play out their cards upon uh, its governing population... It's no different because they still instill the fear upon its populace and the populace knows to some extent that these guys are full of crap and they still go abide by the by the uh, by the governing law anyway. Yeah, but you have to imagine that there is a limit to the amount of times that they can cry wolf. How many times that may be is obviously going to be dependent upon the society and how much they're willing to tolerate that particular abuse of the, of the fear response. But, but I mean, you go back to the old, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me once, fool me twice, shame on me. 
uh, if you're continuing to let that happen with this situation, because you, because again, you have a situation where, and this is something I believe I've said many said before, even if I didn't say it on the podcast, so science rationale and logic does not translate effectively into the public. And it's not because of ill inform. It's because there is a level of trust that is, that is instinctively set in people and is societally set in larger groups of people. And when you tell regions of people one thing and you retcon it a day later, a week later, a month later, the public is going to eventually stop listening to you. Well, you're very, you're, you're very, the, the very core of what you're attempting to do, even if a science in and of itself, and this is, and this is someone who is very pro coming from someone who's very pro science. I understand science is a process in and of itself. And there's, Ups and downs, there's wrongs and rights, there's going back to the drawing board constantly to, to keep perfecting a theory, a hypothesis, an experiment, research notes, all sorts of different aspects of things. But these things will never mean anything to the public. I think it can. Well, I think it should, but I also know better. I think it can. All personal, I think it's the best... I think the best way to have gone to go about it is to get people to understand is to uh get people to the best way to go about it is to get people to understand about how complicated this whole thing is instead of trying to create absolute uh absolute uh declarations in your analyses because the worst when you do that you are tr I get it the point of the leadership role is to have is to when you're being in a position of leadership is to assure the people that your thought process is sound of mind mm -hmm. but on something that is complicated when as it comes to the higher level sciences you can't be because there's always a factor that may change everything. Mm -hmm. And that is something that the people as a whole, you're going to have to get them to understand. True. And I think in this, I think in, if we, if we consider one particular case, I would say a vocal authority screwed up in how he addressed uh, that information. Yeah. Thus, muddying up, no, muddying it up even further, and increasing tensions between uh, that one community and the general populace. Now, do you think that in regards to those situations, that you should allow for human error? Because again, it's a human who's doing, who's 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 transmitting this information to the public, even if they're a virologist. They're still human. Mm -hmm. All humans are fallible. If we're going by the basis of human frailty is as it is. And I know I'm playing kind of counterpoint to you in this because my original statement was, you know, 
you know, is this fear baiting in in and of itself, but you have a situation where the, where the tides of information are shifting ever, ever in the COVID sphere, as it were. What's better in this situation, in your opinion, do you wait until you have the biggest saturation of definable information that you can give the public? Or do you give them piecemeal amounts of information over the course of time? Because if you look at things, and I personally, as far as what, what was being said at the beginning of this of, of the COVID, COVID situation, was perfectly fine with um, Dr. Fauci going out of his way to prevent people from taking, going and buying N95 masks and moss. He was making sure that the frontline people who were needing it had access to it first. But in and of that, it, it, him going back and you know stating, I was doing this to ensure that, this, that it was needed. It was a lie that he, it was deception to ensure that that situation that would happen and play out the way it should. Is it necessary at that point? No. Right. I would I would not have if you have any faith in the public as you yourself have faith in the public because you believe that they can be privy to the scientific method and still be functional in that regard you now have an authority figure who did not believe this and went out of his way to ensure an outcome through deception the Even if it was intended as a good intention-based situation. The biggest issue was that he did not put into account that we have been taking vaccinations perfectly fine for decades with little to no issue. And this is the one instance in which this has been a completely different ball game. And the only reason for that was because the information about it has been contradictory even amongst the experts. So when you have that going around, people are going to get confused, they're going to get frustrated, and then they're just going to look into their own sources and, see, and come up with their own conclusions. Whether you, whether you find that frustrating or understandable, one thing's for certain, it was inevitably going to cause a rift amongst the people, without a doubt. And this was only because one person who the people had confidence in, decided to lie to them about something that could have been essentially crucial in the effort against this, pa against this pandemic. So, it cannot be helped. Fear is something that is going to absolutely cripple the rational thought of a person because it assent in the, in its worst aspects fear will drive you to think instinctively rather than rationally it's and and that's to me the bigger headache because what ends up happening is you have a situation where you have a diverging set of paths that paths that happen with an abuse of a specific set of fear stimulus one the person becomes numb to it and will not respond the way you want them to, even if urgency be damned, vis-a-vis -vis the boy who cried wolf. 
Nobody yep. responded to his calls after a certain point. It's it's a fairy t- it's it's a children's tale about uh, about deception. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Absolutely, for a reason, and it's one that even in the adult even in even in the adult world is very rarely ever you know followed unless it's unless it's pre- unless it's postemptively like after something has already gone bad and someone goes well you cried wolf too much and we didn't ha- we weren't willing to do that if you're an authority figure and that's the situation that happens delta variant epsilon variant sigma variant whatever the whatever in the world is is down the pike you've sat on people's livelihoods their well-being and their mental states for a year and a half keeping them from doing things for so long that they become numb to anything that you ask them to do at that point. Are you sure they become numb to it or do they become more or do they pay attention more to other present dangers that afflict them? Given the for example the small business owners who many have lost their businesses due to the results of the lockdowns. Yes, and and that is that that could be conceived as a third path, but the other path is people who are just completely drunk on the fear. People who never the posts on social media about people who never wanted to take off their masks. There, there's articles about a a, a man who would not take off his mask at all for no reason and it was do- doing things it was doing terrible damage to his relationship because he wouldn't inter- even interact with his wife and be intimate with her because of fear of the unknown because if you look at it if you've never had covid it's an unknown to you because if you were hit with it and you weren't vaccinated you likely were hit with it in a pretty bad way we have we we have friends who've been hit with it twice and can vouch for the, the the pain and suffering that is inflicted upon it upon him via the, via the COVID infection. Hey, he's a two time champion. If you as far, as as far as I'm concerned, someone who endures something like that and still manages to keep kicking, you know, he's pretty tough in my book. Uh, but then you have those who are now getting the vir- who are now getting infected, despite the fact that they're fully vaccinated. And they are dying from said infection, regardless of the vaccination. And we're not even talking about due to the variants. We're talking about the same one that the vaccine was designed for. And it's still killing people. Right. But you are now at a point where it won't matter anymore. Oh, no, I agree. Because people don't want to do the same song and dance over again. One, two, many governments can't handle doing the same thing we did last year. They can't. There's no output. When you cease output, you can have no input. You can't keep creating a tangible wealth out of thin air without something with an equivalent exchange. And when you've put people on a a semi-permanent hiatus where they're not working... Or they're not interacting with commerce in any way where they can give back to the markets with which they've been taking from consistently for a year and a half, almost two years. You're going to have a situation where inflation is happening already. We have shortages everywhere. 
on foods, on, on sundries, things that we use all the time that we take for granted, we're coming up short on because there's nobody to deliver them. People are leaving their jobs in mass because well, they don't want to deal with the headaches anymore. In most cases, they either have been with a company for long enough where they're just ready to move on to something else, or they've been dealing with the COVID restrictions and working in in industries where their work is necessary, and it's an increased workload, and they're not willing to shoulder the burden anymore. And I don't blame them. Yeah, I get the sad truth. I mean, look, there's talks in there's talks of. Uh, medical professionals who are just no longer doing that doing that anymore after having done dealt with covid for as long as they have i don't i don't blame them why would you want to keep dealing with that it's a detriment to your health it's a detriment to your mental well-being it's a thankless job it, like every other like every other important job unfortunately because despite the fact that many government officials like to give these crocodile tears style thank yous they're really, really underappreciated, regardless. Mm-hmm. I still remember that one particular case in Texas where uh, I think it was roughly over 100 employees got fired from their job because they refused to take the vaccine as a result because they now because they made the vaccination mandatory within their premises and they tried to take them to court for it. It got dismissed. And they tried to appeal it, and that appeal was denied. It's unfortunate. And, and again, you have put somebody into a corner mm-hmm. where they are powerless in the face of something that has been told to them is voluntary. Mm-hmm. But the caveat will always be it's voluntary... If you're willing to live basically in a perpetual state of lockdown, because that's what's going to happen. You can't go into businesses, so you'll have to do curbside and everything. You're stuck in your home because you can't leave in most cases unless you're just going for a walk. And even then, what you they, they make it so you have to be masked up all the time. You're creating, you're creating an underclass, if you want me to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, yeah. This has become both a both an economic and political issue, which is unfortunate because this isn't something that should have been politicized, and it's become so effectively so that m- most um, most political uh, officials talk about it as part of their stance or whatever, and it's kind of ridiculous. But you've also created a new type of fear, that one that will eventually numb people to the point where they won't care anymore. It's like, well, you can't, you know, you can't move or do anything. Okay, I've realized that I can use technology to basically do whatever I want. I can find a job that will pay me that I won't ever have to interact with the outside world. Cool. I don't care. I'm still not getting the vaccine. Again. You're just human beings are endlessly adaptive. We've well, proven it time over time and time again. Well, sure. If you look at the, the past year and a half, people have adapted to the COVID situations to the point where a lot of businesses probably are never going to go back to in person 
if they're an office situation because it's much more beneficial to them and their bottom line to never have to pay for office space and merely pay for storage for documentation if they need it for whatever reason. And even that, that's a minimal thing, especially if you if you uh, successfully transfer into <coughs> uh, full digital. Mm -hmm. So then that saves you a tons of space where all you have, all you need is to have space for uh, essentially external hard drives, and that's after you're putting in like terabytes of hard drives. Mm -hmm. And you look at stuff like call center jobs. Most people can do this from their home. Yep. What you basically, if you're if you work if you work as a call center person in the United States, obviously, because you know there are multiple areas that have call center jobs that work across the world. But in the United States proper, they pay your they pay a percentage of your phone bill, and you just keep work. You just work from your phone. You get a headset. You have a. They pay for like a laptop or a Chromebook if you need it. Looking at a lot of the stuff, the adaptations that businesses have done, the ones that don't have a stipulation where there needs to be an in-person necessity, such as certain types of shopping, it's endless. But, but if you look at people who are, who still remain unvaccinated by choice, either because they personally don't want to do so, or the medical situations... Like a po like, there's a podcaster that we listen to whose producer has MS, and her doctor told her that she cannot have any of the vaccines. She can't. Mm -hmm. I've been hearing plenty of stories from uh, friends all over who uh, who've had medical conditions that unfortunately prevents that their doctors directly tell them they should not get the vaccine. Yeah, any single one of them. Mm -hmm. Because it may directly harm them, rather and and potentially even kill them, rather than help them, and that is a terrible thing to hear when you're listening to uh, about a, pan a pandemic of a virus that is apparently lethal. Now, after everything we've just mentioned, um. It's incredible that we, even through all that fear, that we've adapted in the way that we, in the way that we have, for the most part. I mean, let's face it: we can we can clearly overcorrect. If you've seen the horse, the, the horror clash slash month uh, idiocy of of Australia, for instance. Clearly, they're overcorrecting things, <laughs> and oh, it's in that situation. There's going to one of two things is going to occur. There will come a reckoning because no, you cannot have action without some sort of equal and opposite reaction. You just can't. There, that the, you lock and you lock a society down to the point where they can barely move eventually they're just going to pop out of your restrictions. It's just going to happen. You can't leave people in a perpetual state of stasis for that long. You can't. It's just physically inviable. Or they're going to crush the will of their entire, their entire society, and you're going to get a level of de despotism you haven't seen in eons. I mean, 
That's fair. Although we do have one particular place we can see as an example of despotism or brutality for some sort, but that's for a whole other reason. It's not for, it's not, it's not for this particular situation. But I digress. So, but at the very least, we have seen people. We have seen fear take hold throughout throughout the world, and people essentially reacting in different ways to it, nation by nation. Each one has taken their own precautions and restrictions so to speak while the u.s has been well it's one of the few countries that are essentially in internal conflict on how to respond the reason for that has always been because of the varied nature of the ruling bodies that we have in place in our internal government. When you have a federal government that oversees a greater greater swaths of land and you have the regional governments who do a majority of the heavy lifting, each one is given to their own directions on how they're going to execute different dictums from the higher-ups or doing their own thing in some cases, because no, no, no state is going to be in lockstep with the federal government, nor should they. Everyone has their own methodologies, and each person has their own philosophies when it comes to governance, and that should, it should be no different than, you know, when you get to regional and local governance. Everyone should everyone is given to a different thing, and they're there to execute the will of the people. And in most cases, they're avatars of the will of the people in that regard. And they should be. Imperfect as that may be. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to situations like that where you have to instill a level of fear in your populace to have them understand the gravity of a situation. Because, let's be honest, I'm not unsympathetic to people who are in leadership positions during COVID who have to make the hard decisions about ensuring the safety of their people. I will never take that away from those people that they have to make those difficult decisions. Well, that's why you that's why the lead, that's why leadership roles must have to bear that responsibility. Unlike what we've seen where unlike we've seen in some of the leaders uh, in this country as of late. Leadership roles must have the burden because they must because they are given the role to to ensure the safety and well being of the people that they govern, and that means they have to be able to they must be given the power the political power to make the decisions necessary for the good of the people. But that also comes with consequences that they must abide and bear should they fail. And we are seeing little to none of that with our, no, with our leaders, both local and federal. Now, I can't vouch for local because I don't believe that my particular jurisdiction has had too many issues with regards to COVID lockdowns. Then let me rephrase. Local. I meant now I'm not state. talking. I'm not. Yeah. State's a completely different headache. But even on that, I don't feel as though that go- the governor that we're talking about has been particularly draconian in contrast to other states. 
Now, again, everybody has a different perspective, but with the evidence I have and the, 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 the actions taken, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that individual isn't, has, has participated in any kind of tyranny or despotism in the levels that we've seen in other states. If that makes sense. Yeah. You can always counter me on that if you have other information. Because I only have what's in front of me. When, I've only had what's in front of me as it's been surfacing. No, I only have the evidence on, on the local front where my particular... Per, in my particular jurisdiction, the person has... That particular mayor has been uh, quite corrupt, to say the least. But, you know, that's a whole other story. Is that in general or in regards to COVID? And in general. Yeah. That's a separate, that's its own separate can of worms. And we can talk about corruption as it is. And we've talked about but that, to that to one, one degree or another over the course of our history. But that's in some way connection to the concept of fear. Because when you're in a leadership position, you do have to instill some sort of fear upon your subjects to get them to actually, you know, cooperate. It's, a un, it's an unwritten social contract. The problem with it is, is the the level, the type of fear being instilled, is not the threat of violence level that you would see in a situation that would be tyrannical. There is a difference between a, a fear of violence and a sense of urgency, and I think that that you have to toe the line in those situations of leadership. Between those two things, because you can try and make a situation seem urgent and people could still be not uh, still blow it off. There needs to be a bit of but now a bit of line walking when it comes to that. But now you also have those the go to the opposite side of the spectrum, those in which that do that aren't necessarily being compelled and yet they overreact and make the situation far worse than it really is. If we want an example, like if we want to jump away from the, uh, the the pandemic situation for a moment, let's talk. The rioting, for instance, would be considered something to some extent, uh, blown in a far far greater, far worse proportions than it originally was to begin with, and that was, and it all started over the exec- the wrongful execution of an innocent person. True. But you look at situations that have happened historically that have par- parallels to what has happened now. Uh the Rodney King situation back in the 90s. Ah, uh, yes. And that was and Rodney King wasn't even killed. Nope. There that was just that was just from a from a from police brutality. And, yeah, the parallels to that are very much, are very much in sharp relief. But, if you look at what had occurred afterwards, I honestly never researched the the Rodney King situation and the aftermath. Because I don't really know if anything really changed after that. If you would, if you talk to people, there really was never a change in in any kind of policy because of him. 
And can you argue that anything changed after the death of George Floyd? Maybe it's too soon to say. It's I can. only been a year, right? The date changed. The, the calendar rolled over. In the mundane, death happens all the time. It's only when you polarize a particular death that doesn't have any real meaning. Well, that's the problem with hum- human beings. We are given to try and give meaning to our own existences in one way or another. And such as it is. So, and, the, and if you look at everything that has occurred now, I know advocates and activists who are soul crushed after, the, after everything. All, everything is said and done. Okay. Who have watched all of their work that they have put their heart and soul into bear no fruit with regards to the George Floyd experience. Okay. So, and that's what it is. It's, it's an experience for these people. It's, it's their, it's their, it's what they put their lives into to try and make some good happen in the world. And I'm talking about real advocacy. Yes. Not token advocacy, not keyboard warrior syndrome, People who are out on the streets and are petitioning their politicians for real, actual change. I have nothing but the utmost respect for these people. Because they are doing something that they soulfully, truly believe in. And watching them fall apart at the seams because they put faith in an administration that they thought was going to have their back only for that administration to turn their back on them i can't even begin to imagine how painful that is i can't betrayal is betrayal is one thing we all plan for betrayal at least the smart people do fear not your enemies for only your friends can betray you and in all honesty, when it comes to your an administration you believe you who believed you had had your best interests in heart, and they turn on you like that, I can't imagine how so, how much of your soul you lose in the process. Indeed, that's that that's to me that that just that would kill me. I know that doesn't have anything to do with fear specifically. It but absolutely does. It absolutely has everything to do with fear. Because it is the inevitability of your legacy literally being destroyed by the by the weight of the establishment unwilling to uh to comply. Because and then, these aren't the, these aren't the these aren't your typical these aren't your typical uh achievements that one can that one can do this isn't something like you go for in high school to do these were genuine situations problems broken aspects of our of our uh of our justice system and they sought to try and fix that only for it to essentially be blown at their faces for a fear that could that, that was likely uh that was likely at the very least uh anticipated by them but eventually became a grim reality something that i'm sure none of us would have wanted to begin with 
we always talk about in society the reason that our global society functions the way it does is because of mutually assured destruction. We are all walking around with a sword of Damocles above our head because at any point, one of the nuclear powers can just start unleashing hell on an enemy, on an enemy's ally, an innocent, and in return... Have the same thing brought upon them. Destroying all of humanity. That's been the impetus for us thriving as a society. Is the concept that we could all just disappear one day. But if you look at the things I've said before. Even that is something that people have grown numb to. And if you look in our generation... The amount of fatalistic people that exist who just go, I don't care if I just disappear tomorrow. You get an entire region of people who think that way. They're not going to care if a nuke falls. They'll walk towards it with, with gusto in some cases. That's the problem. You have not, you've crushed hope enough out of these individuals to create a situation where they don't care if you if you destroy them anymore. Where apathy reigns supreme. Yeah. War on terror? We're numb to terrorism. Congratulations. You've you have literally drained any significant value out of what you were what your intent was, whatever that intent was. COVID lockdowns. No one cares anymore. We don't care. You told you told people to go get vaccinated. The people who are vaccinated are now confused as to why they're being told that it was for nothing. In one way or another. Or that they're going to have to have booster shots. Which honestly I don't care. Because at the beginning I've stated it. This is going to probably become a seasonal thing like the flu. Yeah. But the difference between now... The difference between boost up continual shots from the flu and continual shots from COVID was that the, the shots you got from the flu... Were mandatory. Correct. Those were all informed consent. Mm-hmm. This is not informed consent. Nope. And cannot be done in informed consent. But you are providing nothing of value in return for this. Mm-hmm. Even if you say, oh, well, you don't have to pay for the booster shots. It doesn't matter. No one cares. The money wasn't the issue. The money was never the issue. We already knew that we were being, in most cases, we were being screwed over by the pharmaceutical industry, who was basically getting paid car, part, paid hand over fist to basically do something for us that they should be doing for the betterment of the betterment of of mankind. It's the it it's the same as the uh, the well putting on tin head tin head again uh, the cancer conspiracy theory where why would pharmaceutical companies even want cancer to be cured? If they can just sell you a potential a, a potential solution rather than the actual one, a treatment a treatment will always be more lucrative than a cure. Yes. because a treatment is something you can prolong for years in some cases. Mm-hmm. The problem at the end of it is that they suffer no penalties for this. Yeah, if there was retribution by by the government for an individual dying of something that they had that they actually had better resources to deal with you wouldn't see that happen nearly as often the problem is is that how can you assess that they had something better to begin with you can't and that's really the issue the government would have to know what 
these particular companies had access to. And we don't function that way. These companies have access to their privacy, and they should, to a point. But when you are working to better humanity, there needs to be transparency in what you have access to. If it's merely a matter of funding, because let's be honest, sometimes the cure is too damn expensive. And if that's the case, I get it. The way our, soci- way our capitalist society works, we only mass manufacture things that we can do so affordably. You ain't mass manufacturing Ferraris. It's just how that works. For lack of better example. So when it comes to situations where you may potentially have the cure for cancer, but it's going to cost you millions to produce for a few doses for a few people. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Not saying, in, not saying it would be any better under socialism where there'd be a gun to the company's head to, to compel them to do it. All that means is that they drag their feet or they just conveniently never reach that conclusion. What? You're incentivizing them not to do it. Yep. What's, what's your, that, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, there's no viable solution other than to just let things happen. At least that's from what I can see. Maybe there's a grander way of doing things. Maybe there just needs to be better checks and balances with with regards to how that stuff functions. And maybe that one, right? Maybe that third is uh, is probably something we do need more of at the very least. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm more I'm more than down with the idea of reducing prices for essential medical supplies. Absolutely. I just simply understand the concept of having the answer to, you know, to your life. And they are more than willing to exploit how much would you pay to save your own life. No. And that's messed up. Understand understand something important. Pharmaceutical companies aren't asking you what it'll cost you to save your own life. That happens on accident. They go and they point right down your right down your eyesights to behind you where the insurance company is and says, how much are you willing to pay to save this person's life? They put the they put the ball in the insurance company's court. And you know the insurance companies are like, I'm not paying millions of dollars to save a person who may or may not work a job that's necessary in contrast because it shouldn't matter what your profession is as long as you're contributing to society in a meaningful way there should always be something so there's always be a way to rescue you from something terminal or semi-terminal in whatever case what ends up happening is they point at your insurance company and the insurance company goes up from behind you takes the hand and pushes it towards you so now the pharmaceutical companies pointing at you and asking that question when they never meant to because they've gone and made it so that the back and forth between insurance and pharmaceutical companies, you are always the one who's caught monkey in the middle. Wait, that's assuming the person had insurance to begin with. Correct. 
in those cases, they're directly asking you how much is going, you know, are you willing to foot the bill to save your own life? And in those cases, I it's even worse because yeah. you are you are fr- on on the front side, completely out of luck. In most cases, unless you're per, unless you're I privately should... wealthy, even those people, you're eventually going to run out of money saving your own life because they're never going to give you an effective cure if they don't have it. Yeah, and that's really something that they're that's the fifty fifty. That's the push and pull of the scenario where it's like, well, what if they have the cure and they're just not willing to let it go? Okay. Let's go and take that and put in the sharp relief of the simplest solutions are often the correct ones. Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. They don't have it. You can feign that you have it. You can say that you have all sorts of different treatments and ways to prolong, you know, life expectancy and a bunch of other things. But what if they just don't have it? They're not willing to tell you they don't have it because in in those situations, they're in they're they're battling other pharmaceutical companies, so they have to feign like they have something. Okay, actually, that that's awful. At least that oh, it's part. monstrous. Because in that particular aspect, you're talking about them are essentially competing with other pharmaceutical companies for the same damn thing that they all likely don't have correct that i agree with you that is absolutely monstrous yeah it's it's preposterous it's insane and it takes human human capital and turns them even into a more expendable commodity than we already are and that adds that add that is one more aspect that you can add to the fear that uh, that plagues society as a whole and what if at the end of the day you just don't have those fear responses anymore? What if you what if you have been groomed from the beginning to just not be afraid of any of it anymore? What would be more horrifying? Having the fear responses necessary to keep yourself alive or willingly accepting any any form of demise that's coming your way no matter what it is? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that's rather deep. It is. As I said, when you get down to brass tacks and the way things have played out, we have hit an apex point where there are those who are drunk on the fear and those who are numb to the fear. Given time, the numbness is going to get going to spread across, across the populace. They're just not going to care anymore. And they'll either just they'll either just go through the motions and just let everything play out the way it does, and keep allowing the people above them to abuse their goodwill because they, they if there's no repercussions for your actions by a populace who's afraid to let those things happen, you're gonna do anything you want. You can. They're not gonna care. Just look at what happened during the George W. Bush years. Gas spiked into the into six or seven dollars a gallon in some areas and people paid it they didn't care they were broken 9-11 and the subsequent years after broke people to the point where they said i don't care just let me get on with my day that's why it that's why losing that fear is a problem you need that fear you need that fear to rise up in you to make you go no 
I'm not allowing you to keep doing this because I don't want to live my life in a perpetual state of fear because I'm eventually going to become so numb to it that you'll just control me through apathy. Fair enough. That's all I got. <laughs> well, if that's all you got, I think that's, uh, I think that warrants a conclusion to this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, understand that fear is a very powerful tool, but so is apathy. And whether how you wield it, it will literally make or break us all. So do your best, and try not to let either succumb you. Because it's very easy to do so, especially when you're isolated. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us this evening. And we hope that you will join us again next week. Brand new topic. Brand new assessment. Bring your drinks. I'm sure it's going to be quite a, uh, a frosty venture. Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us, uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. If you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions. We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read during the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be re- to be listened to. Um. Any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends.